Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello, everyone. Good to see you here today. Years ago, Heather and I worked with a small church that had a surprisingly large number of young adults. And as you might expect, those young adults started dating and got serious about one another, and then they would get engaged, and then they would ask me to do the wedding ceremony. And back then, Heather was a practicing marriage and family therapist, and so we like to do premarital counseling together for those who asked me to do the ceremony. And we naturally fell into the roles of good cop, bad cop. Heather, of course, was the good cop, good counselor. Her goal was to be helpful to those couples, to give them the tools and resources they needed to help them navigate the challenges of married life. I was more the bad cop, the bad counselor. My goal was to ask awkward questions and make off-the-wall observations to see if I could talk them out of getting married. Because I believe that if I could talk them out of getting married that easily, then they had no business getting married in the first place, and I was saving them and their families a lot of trouble down the road. I I don't get to do a lot of premarital counseling anymore. Couples don't ask for me to do premarital counseling anymore. But one of my favorite parts of premarital counseling is when that idealistic, hopelessly in love couple describes their expectations of what married life will be like. And sometimes it's hard to keep a straight face. When they say things like, well, it's going to be like a a super long slumber party, an endless week at summer camp. Oh yeah, that's exactly what it's going to be like. We're going to stay up all night talking like we do now. Oh, sure you are. And we're going to share all the household chores. And on Saturday afternoons, especially during college football season, we're going to work around the house together. And after a few of these observations, I would always counter with the maxim, perhaps you've heard it, that unclarified or unrealistic expectations are nothing more than premeditated disappointments, which can easily harden into resentments. One of the questions I would sometimes ask these couples, is what would he or she have to do to make you abandon this marriage? In other words, what are the limits to this relationship? Because every relationship has its limits. Every partnership, every friendship, every marriage has a limit, a threshold, a line that which, when crossed, causes one person to say to the other, I will not tolerate your bad behavior any longer. I cannot do this with you anymore. I'm out of here. Now, let me tweak that question 
and ask all of you, what could God do or allow to happen to you that would cause you to give up on your relationship with God? How disappointed with God would you have to be to give up on God? It's a troubling yet important question because disappointment with God is inevitable. Walk with God long enough and eventually God is going to do something you don't like or understand or God is going to allow something to happen to you or to someone you love that will absolutely devastate your heart. And in those moments, your faith will be tested. The relationship will be tested. And some emerge from those seasons of testing with no faith at all. They give up. They abandon the relationship. Others emerge with a faith so weak it barely survives on life support. And then still others emerge with a faith that is stronger than other, ever. And why some people respond differently to different disappointments with God is one of the enduring mysteries of the universe. But perhaps it has something to do with what I said earlier about unrealistic expectations leading to disappointment and then resentment. Because in our relationship with God, we can have a naive assumption that if we pledge our allegiance to God above all others, if we always do the right thing, if we sing our songs and we say our prayers and serve those in need and live a right, righteous life, then God will never let anything bad happen to those we love or to us. And then something bad happens. And all we can do is scream to the heavens, how could you let this happen? And we're tempted to abandon the relationship because God has let us down. And we can hold this naive assumption even though Christianity is built upon a story of a God who calls and allows his righteous son to suffer and die a terrible death on a cross. And then calls his son's followers and allows his son's followers to suffer persecution and sometimes die terrible deaths as martyrs. This is one of the reasons why the Bible is an essential companion for us through the journey of life. Because in addition to highlighting the rewards, the blessings of a life of faith, it is also brutally honest about how difficult, how frustrating, how disappointing a life of faith can sometimes be. The Bible does a marvelous job clarifying our expectations of what God will and won't do and what God does and doesn't allow. More than that, though, the Bible also shows us how God's people in the past have worked through their disappointments with God when God allows trouble to come into their lives or 
How God's people at times will struggle and wrestle or argue with God when they don't agree with the way God is running the world. And the Bible shows us how to do this. And in showing us how to do it, it, it affirms doing it in the first place. Today, we're going to listen in on a conversation from the Hebrew Scriptures between God and a man who is profoundly disappointed with God. And for those of you who are already turning to Job, not so fast. Today, we're going to dip into the little book of Habakkuk. Or if you grew up in Arkansas, Habakkuk. And my guess is most of us are not super familiar with Habakkuk. Maybe not as familiar as we are with other parts of Scripture. So here is a super quick summary of this super short book. And I invite you to read it later on today. It'll only take a couple of minutes and see how accurate you think this summary is. The book opens with a complaint from Habakkuk, who does not think God is doing enough to preserve justice in Judah. He says in chapter 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife. Conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous, so that justice is perverted. He said this thousands of years ago, not yesterday. And the Lord responds to his complaint by saying, it's going to get worse. The Babylonians are coming and they are going to run amok over the land. And Habakkuk then responds and says, Lord, how how can this be? This makes no sense. The Babylonians are terrible people. They are evil and wicked. How can you allow this to happen to your people? And Habakkuk is so frustrated He says at the end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, I'm going to stand watch or I'm going up to my watchtower and await a response to my complaint. And in chapter two, the Lord responds. He says in verse two, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. In other words, this is the plan the Lord is going to share with Habakkuk. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And then the Lord goes on to say to Habakkuk, don't worry about the Babylonians. 
I know who they are. I know how bad they are. Their day is coming. They will be punished for their evil deeds. But the Lord also in all of this says to Habakkuk, listen to me, listen, you're going to have to trust me on this. You're going to have to live by faith. Things are going to get better. Justice will prevail. I will set everything right. But it's not going to happen as quickly as you want. You're going to have to wait for it. And then in chapter 3, Habakkuk responds with a prayer in which he describes God in all of God's ferocious glory. And he recounts all the times God has come to the aid of God's people when they were in trouble. And near the end of this prayer, near the end of the chapter, is one of my favorite declarations in all the scriptures. Habakkuk says in verse 16, Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He says, I will wait, Lord, for you to do to the Babylonians what you say you're going to do to them. I'll wait for that. And then he continues, and this is my favorite part of the declaration. He says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. He says, Lord, because you have been faithful to us in the past, I will wait. I will wait for your deliverance. I will wait for your justice. Even though the future is bleak, even though things are getting worse instead of better, even though our pets' heads are falling off, yes, that's a reference from Dumb and Dumber, No, I have no intention of apologizing for it. Even when my garden is barren and my eyes see nothing to celebrate, I will rejoice. I will praise you. I will trust you because I believe you will keep your promises. And that's how the book of Habakkuk ends. And in this way, Habakkuk serves as a guide for us to show us how to navigate the challenge of faith in a broken world. When we do not understand what God is up to in this broken world, when we do not agree with the way God is running this broken world, when we are profoundly disappointed by the atrocities God allows to happen in this broken world, Habakkuk shows us there is a point we can get to in our relationship with God where we are able to say, because of God's track record, because of God's past faithfulness, because God can raise the dead, because God can give new life where there is none. 
There's nothing that can make me abandon this relationship. No matter what happens, no matter how painful or incomprehensible, I will trust the Lord. I will praise the Lord and I will give thanks to the Lord in advance for the way the Lord is going to redeem all that the Lord has allowed. And to be able to say this is no small thing. And in no way do I want to minimize the pain, the grief, the disappointment that any of you have experienced or maybe are experiencing right now. But the only way we can arrive at a conclusion similar to Habakkuk is to process our pain with God, to work through our disappointment with God with God. There's no shortcut around it. And the intention of this message is not to short-circuit that essential process of voicing our complaints to the Lord when we are disappointed, to wrestling and struggling and even arguing with God. I'm absolutely not saying today that if you are struggling, if your faith is wavering, if you're hurting, ah, just shut up and trust the Lord. No, 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 no. I'm saying the opposite. I'm encouraging us to voice our complaints, our objections, our pain to the Lord. And I'm saying it is okay to be so disappointed with God that we say like Habakkuk, I'm going to stand here and wait until I get a response to my complaint. But we also shouldn't be surprised if the response we receive is similar to the response Habakkuk received, where the Lord says, I hear your complaint, I see your pain. I care about you. I am with you. I'm still in control. I have a plan. But you're going to have to wait for it. And until then, the righteous will live by faith. And it's in these moments of back and forth with the Lord, complaint, response, complaint, response, like Habakkuk, we decide, will we trust the Lord or will we abandon the relationship and give up on God? There's a point in the Gospel of John when people are giving up on Jesus. They started to follow him. They believed there was something special about him, but they don't like what he's saying. His teachings are offensive, and so now they are giving up on Jesus. They're walking away. And he says to some of his disciples, says, are you going to give up as well? Are you going to abandon this relationship? And I love Peter's response in John chapter 6, verse 68. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And if Jesus really is the one if he has been raised from the dead after his father allowed him to be crucified, then where else can we go? 
Where else can we go with our questions and our doubts? With our frustrations and our disappointments? Where else can we go with our heartbreak and our grief? But to the Lord. As we enter a season that for many is a time of great joy and celebration, but is also for many a time of great ache, of pain, of grief, of longing. As we enter a season where God's people remember that we are waiting on the Lord to come. May we have the faith of Habakkuk. May we be able to say, even though my garden is barren, I will praise the one who someday will make all of creation flourish. May we have the faith, especially when we're hurting, especially when it's hard to give thanks. May we have the faith to trust the Lord and wait for it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we close out a week of thanksgiving and enter into a season of expectation, we bring our disappointments to you. I ask that you hear and receive all the hurts, the disappointments, the griefs that are present in this room today. And in receiving them, Lord, I ask that you would respond to them. And that you would give us the strength to trust you, to wait for you, to never lose hope, in you and all that you have promised to do. In Jesus, in whose name we pray. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.